0: A Jamaican loving preacher once told me that prayer is like a doorway that you can go through at any time. And so, my friends, we have sung together. We have confessed together. But I'm going to ask you to do something unorthodox. And I want us to pray out loud together. I know. I know. Raised eyebrows. I like it. And so, my friends, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to simply pray uh, a simple prayer. Just say, do it again, Lord. That's all. On the count of three, just say that verbally. One, two, three. Do it again, Lord. We're going to do it this time like we love the Lord, because I know you all do. On the count of three, let's just say, do it again, Lord. One, two, three. Do it again, Lord. Thank you, my friends. The reason I ask you to do this unorthodox movement of verbalizing your prayer is very simply because it will serve as the topic of this sermon. Do it again, Lord. From Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. My friends, the reason I ask you to pray this is simply because more than a few scholars would suggest that we live in what is known As the post-Christian era, many scholars would even go so far as to suggest that the whole church is heading towards death. My friends, post-Christendom, it means essentially that there's a dominant loss in the Christian worldview among members of society currently. Churches are experiencing many challenges. They love to say that millennials don't go to church. They love to say that those generations that come after the millennials are biblically illiterate some. Some people even say that on Sundays, people just love to find other things to do rather than to sit in a pew. And if you get bogged down by all of these great statistics from all of these great philosophers and scholars, it's very great and it's very easy to forget Jesus's words to Peter when Jesus said that upon this rock, I build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Perhaps my friends, the church today finds itself surrounded by so many challenges that we are worshiping these challenges instead of Christ. Could it be that this worshiping of challenge is stifling our witness, hindering our outreach, halting our evangelism and efforts? Could it be that friends? I join you in understanding that there are different challenges that all churches face. I know personally that these challenges are real. But my friends, prayerfully, let us not forget that we serve a God who specializes in defying odds. May we not forget that we serve a God who is labeled a way maker. My friends, we serve a God who has provided so bountifully before. God has loved before. He's comforted before. And that same God who produced and provided back then, back when, is the same God that we serve even right now. And so, my friends, throughout this message, and whenever you may ride through society and see churches experiencing challenges, I just hope you'll join me in this concise prayer verbally. Do it again, Lord. My friends, my great seasoned brother, as I like to call them by the way of Haggai, he's 80 years old at the time, and he's sharing in this sentiment of this concise prayer yet again to do it again, Lord. Simply because the people of Israel at this time have returned to Jerusalem. King Cyrus has given them clearance to return, but they're not only supposed to return, they're supposed to rebuild Jerusalem. They're supposed to rebuild the temple because this temple as well as Jerusalem lies in ruins. It's been destroyed. And the Samaritans of this time, however, they're totally against this building project because it has implications politically it has implications religiously. And so these Samaritans come to their Samaritan committee meeting and they say, why would these Jews want to rebuild this temple? They shouldn't do that because if they do this, it, it just doesn't erupt some people the wrong way. Why would they want to rebuild what has been destroyed? Can't they just go on with their life? These people, the Samaritans, they caused so much of an uproar that they were able to halt this building project of rebuilding the temple for a very long time. However, it was this great guy by the name of Darius the Great. He's so great, he even has great in his name. (laughs) Darius the Great, he cared about the religions and the beliefs that surrounded society. And so he said, you know what? You all go ahead, rebuild that temple. And so these people begin this building project in the midst of haters, in the midst of detractors, and they're building up a storm. But in the midst of all that, there's a seasoned 80-year-old prophet named Haggai. And he has some words that he says to them that I find to be quite applicable to all of us here today. They're found in the second portion of Haggai's words right here in verses 1 through 3. Listen, if you will. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Excuse me. Is it not in your sight as nothing? Friends, in these three verses, we notice very simply the problem. See, God has urged this 80-year-old prophet to speak to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all of the people to ask them, quite frankly, what is it that you see? They're supposed to look at an unfinished building project and detail exactly what they see. But Haggai He wants them to lean into the problem. And he addresses the elephant in the room when he says in verse 3, do you remember what this temple used to look like? It was beautiful. It was majestic. It was a place where all people wanted to come. However, now it's undone. It's not nice. People don't come here anymore. And they're wondering if this temple can actually ever be as great as it once was. Don't miss this today. If your neighbor happens to be awake, you tap him on the leg and tell him to get up because isn't the concern of the people of Israel and Judah the same or similar concern to many believers today? The, cha- the church is experiencing challenges of skepticism, pluralism, church hurt. And many people wonder, can the church ever return to its former glory? Yes, there are many questions which surround the church as a whole, but I compare the experience of the text to the lived experience of Helen Keller, who once said that the only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. My brothers and sisters, I just want to ask you, instead of resting on the challenge and worshiping the challenge, are you praying to God in the midst of the challenges to give God, to give you the vision? Are you putting your hands to work or are you simply just saying, Whoo, we're dealing with a whole lot? See, my friends, you must be reminded of the mere fact that we are believers who walk by faith and not by sight. Therefore, we must push past the problem and pursue our savior simply because when we do, we find the encouraging word. See, it's right here in verses four through five of Haggai's words that we see, all oh, is dripping with encouragement. Look at verse four, it says, yet now take courage. Oh, Zerubbabel says the Lord, take courage. Oh, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Do not fear. See, if the people needed encouragement, they definitely received it right then. God, through the human vessel Haggai, he's saying to the people of Israel and Judah that I know what has happened. I see the decline. I know the temple has been destroyed. I know you were sent to a land that you were not familiar with. But he's encouraging them that even though all of this chaos has occurred, I was still right by your side. Take courage. I'm even with you now. Friends, this is better than finding a gift that you've been asking for for a whole year under the tree on Christmas morning. My friend, my seasoned brother Haggai, he's telling them as well as all of us and the church as a whole, the Lord is with us. When I think about those very succinct words, I think about my best friend who happens to live in Mississippi, Mississippi. He does. He's a pastor in Mississippi. His name is Leroy Davenport. I met him at McAfee School of Theology. And I've been dealing with a lot of challenges, some that you know, others that you don't. And something, one thing that's wrong with this good vessel right here is that when I experience a challenge, I like to focus in on that thing because I'm a fixer. But sometimes God can sense some challenges in your life that you're not assigned to fix, but yet you're assigned to have faith and trust. And I get these little text messages from my good brother in Mississippi, and they'll say little things like, God's with you. They'll say little things like, hey, man, I love you. They'll say little things like, hey, have you focused on God today? They're always kind of repetitive. They say the same thing, but Leroy is one that can drop a text message in my inbox and make me move past discouragement to encouragement. And I want you to know that Leroy... It's being the hands and feet of Christ to Josh in that moment. But you have God himself that throughout scripture, he has dropped text messages in our inbox. And if you don't believe me, they're really encouraging. You can look right there in Deuteronomy chapter 31 through 23. The Lord sends a text message and it simply says, I myself will be with you. My friends, don't, you know, don't get too excited, but I know I am because there's another text message in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 13, where the Lord says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor discouraged. Yet there is yet another text message. It's right there found in your inbox in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20, where God says, God is with you. Notice, my friends, that these Text messages are quite repetitive. It says the phrase, God is with you a lot of times. But the reason that God repeats himself is because he wants you to know that he actually is not lying, but that he is with you. You must understand that God understands that we may be on the battlefield of life, but we do not fight alone. And so this is why this 80-year-old seasoned prophet by the name of Haggai, he tells the people, take courage. If I contemporize the text, I'll say, God's with you. And he's telling them as well as us, don't fret. God is right there with us. Haggai has spoken. He talked to Zerubbabel. He talked to Joshua. He talked to the people of Israel and Judah as well as us. He's saying, listen, I know the challenge that's in front of you. I know the challenges that you're facing even here in the church, but you have an encouraging word and you can trust this word simply because it is God that makes the difference. Listen to his words in verses six through nine. It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. My friends, I see you this morning and you're looking at me as though you're having a cognitive disconnect just a bit. And I just want you to know that if case you're wrestling with the clarity of what's going on in the story, we're going to land the plane together and I promise we'll get off and go to Applebee's after it. But I want you to understand is that the Lord has called the people of Israel and Judah back into Jerusalem. Y'all with me? You with me? All right, if you say yes, I'll end this thing. You see, the splendor and beauty of the temple and the place that they once knew, it has been destroyed. Y'all still with me, right? Well, see, what these people see at this moment is defeat. What they see at this moment is a win for the other team. What they see in this moment is a total loss. And yet the Lord is saying, can you move past what you see Can you get up out of your feelings just a bit? Because I'm about to do a new thing and make a difference right now. The Lord is saying, I'm about to reverse what you see and it's going to go from bad to good. How do I know it? Because the silver's mine, the gold is mine. I have all the money to make this building project go through. You don't even need a permit, just pursue me. He's saying, because I'm about to rebuild. What you think that you've lost. If you don't believe me and you think that I possibly may be lying, just look in the text. Verse 9 ought to have you shouting and running all around this church. Because in verse 9 it says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord. There will be peace again in this house. Now, my friends, I don't know about you, but I get hippopotamus happy when I read that because I get excited because in Haggai verses two, verses four through nine, chapter two, verses four through nine, six times in five verses, it repeats the phrase, the Lord of hosts. Now, if you read that, you'll think that you're talking about a host at Red Lobster or Olive Garden, but I promise that's not it. When I read this phrase, the Lord of hosts, if you understood it like I found out about it today, it'll give it'll make you Holy Ghost happy. And I just want to show you that in the text, the word that's used to literally define host is the Hebrew word Saba. Saba literally means army, battle, combat, warrior, warfare. See, my friends, we can get excited because what the text is designed to teach us is that God knew that these people were in the midst of two battles. They had a battle of the mind going on. They wanted to know, could Jerusalem be rebuilt? Could the temple be rebuilt again? Don't you want to know? Can the church overflow with people again? Can the church be as great as it once was? Well, yet you're fighting this same battle. But yet the second battle was that they were having a battle of faith. Could they trust God to do it? Could God really be everything that he said he would be? Could God really be a man that he would not lie? They got two battles going on. But the Lord of hosts is the God of the battle. The Lord of hosts is the God of the battle who fights for us and fights with us. And so, my friends, we too serve the God of the battle. He's fighting with and for us. And how do I know it? Just look around at our children's ministry. We have a children's ministry that are doing missions today, making care packages for the NICU babies they've never seen. Look at the children's ministry. That's having children be baptized over and over again, and they're learning about Jesus. For a moment, just look at your youth ministry. The church is not dead, but God is doing it again. Because recently in October, on World Communion Sunday, they walked all the way up to the top of a mountain. The top was full of people, and yet they took communion communion on top of that mountain where all the world could see that they were were sitting there proclaiming Jesus' death until he may come again. The church is not dead, but yet the Lord is doing it again. How do I know it? Because I've heard that millennials don't go to church. I've heard that the generations that come after us are biblically illiterate, but yet on Tuesdays in the missionary house, we fill that place up with young adults. Millennials, the people they say don't come to church. And they're in there, and we're in there praying for each other, trying to see how we can have faith and live out this thing called life together. My friends, the church is not dead, but yet the Lord is doing it again. How do I know it? Because at 4 p.m. every Sunday, I'm watching Second Punch tiptoe all the way into the field of racial reconciliation. When today and this day, you have launched a service called all together where you are worshiping God, building community and embracing diversity. My friends, the church is not dead, but the Lord is doing it again. If an 80-year-old prophet named Haggai could give his service to the Lord, will you? If an 80-year-old prophet could give his heart to the people, will you? Or will you believe the lie that God is through speaking? My friends, God's not through speaking here and even out there. We must be married to the message that Jesus came to die for every sin that we may commit. Oh, but we must not be married to the method. We may have to meet them in the coffee shops. You may have to meet them in the barber shops. So what? It's for his kingdom. It's for God's glory, not ours. And so my friends, when we pray this prayer, do it Again, Lord, may we be ready to try the newer things that God is producing, that his kingdom may be built and that God may be glorified. Haggai ends with these words that the latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I'll give prosperity. And peace again. My hope is that we will believe it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for Haggai's words. We thank you for the challenge that you give us. We thank you, Lord, for the new things that you're birthing. And as we sing at this moment, we pray, God, that if there be someone here who does not know Jesus, that they will come down and give our pastor their hands, but give God their hearts. We pray, God, if there may be one or two or however among us that want to connect to second punch, that they will do that, that they will come down as we sing, give our pastor their hands and give their heart to you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that, God, you would do it again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Leon Baptist Church.